What's up? Hope you guys are having a great day today. My name is Matthew Spazzitti and welcome back for another episode of the Matthew Spazzitti program. We talk about financial freedom and economics. If you guys are new and coming here for the first time, first and foremost, I want to say welcome and I'd like to invite you to take the 10 episode challenge. Ladies and gentlemen, the 10 episode challenge is exactly how it sounds. You basically go back and you listen to the last 10 episodes of the show. The reason I ask you to do this is because I feel like you get the most value if you go back and listen to those last 10 episodes because there's a lot of value back there. If you just start listening today, you're not going to be aware of a lot of the stuff we were talking about. You see, we don't talk about news and politics and economics. We don't talk about that stuff in a vacuum. You see, I will be referencing articles. I will be referencing terminologies that I may have defined in past episodes. And uh, if you're just joining and you don't go back and listen to them, you're not necessarily going to understand what I'm talking about. So, and not to mention, there's just, I, I personally feel like there's just a, a ton of of really great content back there. So if you're interested in that, if you want to get the most out of this podcast, then please go listen to the last 10 episodes. All right. So today we are going to talk about the election. So yeah, we got a couple more days left, left about six days or so before the actual election day is here, November 3rd. You know, it's absolutely crazy because when everything started happening in March, I thought the election was very, very far down the line and, and whatever. And now it's like right around the corner. Now we don't always talk about politics or we talk about political theory sometimes with regards to democracy versus monarchy and things of that nature, but we don't talk about politics with regards to uh, social politics or things of that nature. We just don't talk about a lot about that. But in the past episodes and probably even further back than the last 10, I have actually talked about who I thought would end up winning the election. Now, again, if you're, if you've listened to me for any length of time, okay, I'm not voting. I don't care to vote anymore. I'm just, I'm I'm not interested in it. I'm not interested in voting. I, I no longer believe in the political system, but I know a lot of you are still very much interested in voting and some of you are going to vote anyways because you don't dis- necessarily agree with me and that's fine. You know, you don't, you don't have to, but you know, I, I wanted to talk about it, give you guys my opinion of what's kind of going on, what I think is going to happen in the past. I basically predicted that I'm, I was pretty sure Trump was going to win the election. Um, and a lot of people were predicting the same thing at the time, particularly a lot of my mentors were. However, as time has gone on, now some of those people, some of my mentors, they're like, ah, I, you know, I just don't know. I just don't know now. And But in the end, even though nobody really knows who's going to win the election, you know, everyone's kind of making their own predictions. I made mine as well. And I'm going to make, I'm going to basically stick to it. You know, I wanted to read two really short articles that I basically found. Um, and and I, I found uh, the, the one on MarketWatch, I found it a little while ago. The one about, from the Mises Institute, will a non-political silent majority stop the left? You know, that was one that I, I honestly just recently found today as I was doing research for the show, which, you know, I, I usually do. But, you know, in the end, I don't really know. For all I know, Biden could end up winning. I, I have a hard time seeing it, but he totally could. The main reason, I, so here's, I'm going to stick with the original prediction that I made. 
I think Trump is still going to win. I don't think it's going to be a landslide, but I think he's still going to win. And the main reason is, I mean, I'm drawn from different types of ideas, different types of theories. A, when it come, when it came to all of his conventions that he was holding, he still had a massive amount of people that were coming out to see him. Biden did not. And, you know, Biden had a very, very small amount of people compared to Trump. This was a huge indicator for me as to why I felt that Trump was going to win against Hillary because ultimately Trump it was just pulling massive crowds and Hillary was doing good if she could pack a, a, a high school gym or maybe a coffee house. She just wasn't drawing any attention from her base and Trump ultimately was. So that was kind of my prediction, not to mention I'm also a bit of a contrarian and when I see a lot of polls basically saying Hillary's going to win... You know, how, I mean, I know from being involved in economics, being involved in Forex trading and stuff of that nature, I know that a lot of data is easily manipulated, easily skewed to say whatever the person producing the survey or producing those those numbers, whatever they want, it can say whatever they want. And I know that polls are largely the same. The poll can say, oh, well, opinion polls show that, you know, Hillary's going to win. But in reality, how many people were polled? Okay, it was a thousand people. All right, you know that's not that many people, to be frank. Okay, and where and where are they all from? Oh, you polled people in a primarily blue Democratic state like California. Oh, well, oh, well, freaking a. I mean, I could I could have told you that was going to be the outcome. So you know, it just all kind of depends on where the polls are getting their numbers from. You know, whether they're corrupting the numbers, whether they're specifically targeting certain people to get certain numbers that are in their favor and are are pushing the narrative that they want. But really, I mean, Biden doesn't represent a whole lot that I think a lot of people really like. The only reason anybody would vote for him is largely because they don't like Trump. And I'll be honest, I don't know how often that kind of reasoning actually ends up winning an election. Is it possible I think it is. I just don't think it happens very often where one president gets elected simply because nobody likes the other guy or the other girl. So in that sense, I don't necessarily know that, um, you know, Biden would get elected and the chances of that or not. There's going to be a lot of cheating involved in this election. I mean, let's be honest. Come on. There's cheating involved in every election on both sides of the aisle. It's not simply like Democrats are the only ones that cheat. Republicans cheat too. Uh, This is just the very nature of politics. It's a disgusting thing. But in the end, I still think that Trump is going to win. I mean, he he's still pulling out a lot of people to come and see him. If anything, these riots, I think, are going to play straight into his wheelhouse. You know, he's, you know, definitely people are very angry about what, what has been done by the left and the Democrats with the cities and stuff. I think the Democrats know they're going to lose. I think this is largely going to be, I think they realize it's going to be like a throwaway election, but they're trying to lay the groundwork for perhaps, you know, by delegitimizing him and, and, and anyways. That's my opinion. I don't know. I mean, Biden could win. All right. I mean, as far as I know, Biden could win with all the cheating involved. And even if Biden does win, was it legitimate? I, you know, look, I, I, I'd be inclined to say no. I would be inclined to say that it's it's not legitimate. And look, I have no love for D- President Donald Trump. I mean, in this day and age, I have to actually preface this. I have no love for him. Okay, I have no love for the Republicans. I got no love for the Democrats. If you've been listening to me for, for any length of time, you know I hate them all. 
right? So the very idea that I'm saying that I, if Biden was to win, it probably was because of some kind of, you know, cheating or whatnot. I look, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of cheating. And if he wins, I think that's it because I don't see any rational person voting for him because they actually like the guy. Biden, that is. I mean, most people, I mean, maybe there are some people that are out there that like him, but I mean, come on, this sleepy Joe, you know, I, I, I just don't, I don't necessarily see it. But that said, maybe he'll win. Maybe it'll be, it will be legitimate, although I doubt it. But um, then again, you know, I don't know. Who, who knows? That said, let's go ahead and jump into the article. So the Mises Institute came out with an article the other day by Tho Bishop, basically say, will a non-political silent majority stop the left? All right, the 2020 campaign is down to its final week, with each party and pundit preparing the ammo they need to either take a victory lap or explain away their defeat. In the age of COVID, the Democratic Party has pushed heavily a vote-by-mail campaign that places their successes in the hands of the ability of voters to successfully negotiate the postal system. While Trump's team is relying on MAGA rallies to motivate in-person early voting, the combination of the two has the race projected to be the largest projected voter turnout in over a century. According to the conventional wisdom, this is a major win for Joe Biden's team. In fact, strong voter turnout in, in states like Texas and Georgia has anxious pundits questioning whether this is finally the year these red state stalwarts flip blue. But is conventional wisdom correct? If we do in fact see a major surge of voter behavior, it's useful to consider the sort of voter who may be turning out to cast a vote for the first time. Both sides have their own preferred narrative here. Democrats see a nation of politically oppressed groups that can be activated by tapping into their sense of injustice, while Republicans can see a silent majority that wants to quote real Donald Trump, uh, his Twitter account say law and order. Historically, the demonstrated preference of American voters has firmly been political apathy. In 2016, it did not, if did not vote had been a candidate, it would have won with an impressive 471 votes. As such, to the extent that the silent majority exists, we can perhaps view it as an as anti-political. This is kind of like my whole shtick of anti-democracy and why I don't like it. I know we're, an, we're democratically elected republic, but we're more dem democratic today than we were when the nation was originally created. I mean, that is undeniable. You know, there are lots of things that have happened that have given more people the right to vote that have, I mean, we now have the ability to vote for our senators, the, the state senators. They used to be, you know, voted by the states, not by us, not by the people. And now we can vote. We have become more and more democratic as time has gone on and as the country has gotten older and older. Right. And, and that's the truth, ladies and gentlemen, we just have. Yes, we are on paper a democratically elected republic, but you know my opinions on this. I mean, I believe we are a theocratically controlled oligarchy, really. And, and I don't really want to get into explaining that. If you if you want to know that, uh, I just literally talked about it in the last episode. So go check that out. Um, that kind of explains it. I've talked about it in the past episodes before. But in the end, this is the facts. The facts are that the vast majority of people do not vote. And the people that do, the Democrats and the Republicans, are minorities compared to the vast majority of people who don't like politics and don't vote at all. So when we're taking that in consideration, it's basically one minority trying to tell everyone else in the country how they should live their lives, what is right and what is wrong. And I just don't agree with that. That's what democracy ends up becoming. Factionalism. Tribalism. Democracy becomes this where we, we war and we fight over the power of government to force our will on others. And that's why I don't like it from a fundamental standpoint. 
if we were, if the entire nation was even to vote, it would be 51% of the population telling 49% how to live their life. But in this case, that's not even the situation. We have two different minority groups, Republicans and Democrats. The vast majority of the country doesn't care, or at least they don't vote. So just something to, to really keep in mind that of this vote is, is about minorities of ideologies that are fighting against each other to tell the rest of the entire country of the United States how to live their lives. And ladies and gentlemen, I think, why should a minority have that kind of power? Why should a minority, and I'm not talking about race, ethnicity, nothing of that nature. I'm talking about ideologies, Democrats, Republicans, socialists, whatever. You know, in a capitalist system, I want to buy a, you know, a blue tie, I can buy a blue tie. If I want to buy a red tie, I can buy a red tie. If I want to buy a red blue tie, I can buy a red blue tie. However, in democracy, you've got, you have a choice between the red or the blue. And if the red tie wins, then all you can buy is red ties. But if the blue tie wins, all you can buy is blue ties. So you kind of get the idea, right? But it's, it's basically one minority of an ideological group that's basically forcing the entire country to live by what they deem is the correct way to live and things of that nature. And I just don't, I, I, regardless of what side that is, I just don't think that that's right. So anyways, that being said, let's hop in back into the article. As such, to the extent that the silent majority exists, we can perhaps view it as anti-political. The question then is which candidate makes the best appeal to the anti-political? If you were to listen to the corporate press, the obvious answer would be that President Trump is so uniquely bad that any decent person would be motivated to fire him. Helping this argument is general disapproval of the president's handling of COVID, though specific criticisms are not made clear in the poll, as well as the fact that his favorability rating is below 50%, though no worse than in 2016. Working against this narrative is the fact that in spite of what 2020 has brought, 56% of the voters told Gallup that they are better off now than where they were four years ago. Considering the amount of money that was spent in 2016 unsuccessfully making the case that Donald Trump was a uniquely unacceptable outcome for American democracy, it's fair to question whether four years of orange man bad is a political message that would electrify new votes. So what has changed in four years? Well, one obvious change is social media and the willingness of big tech to leverage their platforms for purely partisan purposes. In 2016, Americans were able to find and read and share materials such as leaked campaigns, emails, or episodes of The Alex Jones Show. American democracy allowed for voters to make their own judgments on these matters. Now, we're told that American democracy depends on protecting voters from potential disinformation. The most obvious example is social media's treatment of files allegedly found on a lost laptop, which big tech has desperately tried to hide from American voters. The New York Post, one of the America's oldest newspapers, na- remains locked out of their Twitter account for daring to publish the content. While this episode highlights important questions about the relationship between big tech and society, this is simply an example of a larger trend of the progressive left pushing politics beyond elections. While the political agenda of Facebook and Twitter may have a more direct impact on how we use the product than how Gillette targets its advertising or what the next woke flavor of Ben and Jerry's is, the left and its corporate allies have made the decision that politics is too important to not be talked about. But what if normal Americans do not want to be lectured to, particularly when those lectures come from the people who engage in such performative hypocrisy as celebrating massive protests in the name of social justice while scolding you for going to church? 
If bread and circuses really are all that is needed to keep the masses content, what happens when you prevent pastimes into soy and political lectures? What if there's a large section of the country that did not vote for Trump in 2016, sees plenty of faults with the man and his policies, but sees him and his tweets as far less dangerous than self-righteous lefties who use their social media to get random people fired? If polling trends are accurate, we've already seen President Trump greatly enhance his position with minority voters whose communities tend to be the most hostile to the left's fetish for political correctness. In particular, Biden may win 100% of the self-identified Latinx demographic, and Trump appears set to perform significantly better with Hispanic voters in both Florida and the Sun Belt. Perhaps real populism in America is simply letting people raise a family and grill in peace. If so, maybe Murray Rothbard was right about the potential for a uniquely libertarian brand of populism in America. One thing is for sure, if this theory holds... Political pundits in New York and Washington, D.C. will find themselves looking foolish in 2020 again. So I actually thought that was quite an interesting article. You know, in the end, I just felt that it just was kind of giving you not only did it talk about the vast majority of people who are, are not going to be voting, at least back in 2016, and and maybe we'll see an even bigger turnout in, in, in past elections. A lot of stuff has happened. You know, the, the lockdowns, the riots you know, the vaccine that everyone's fearing and all this kind of stuff. You know, there's all this kind of stuff that's coming out that's causing a lot of people to just, to fear the future. And in reality, it really is something that you need to keep in mind is that the vast majority of the country historically doesn't vote. So it's really whoever can fire up their own voter base. And quite frankly, from what I'm seeing, Trump is able to fire up his voter base a lot better than Biden is. But we'll just have to see. I mean, I don't, because of cheating and a whole host of other things, I don't necessarily know if this is going to be a landslide win for for Mr. Trump, but I, you know, who who the heck knows? But anyways, here's one more article that I thought was interesting. This actually proposed a theory that as long as the stock market is going up right before the election, that basically it means, which right now, as, as of today, and this is the 28th of October, the markets are, they're, they're not going down, up. They're they're actually going down, but you know they haven't gone down that much. I mean, the S and P five hundred I think is down like three point fifty two percent. They're not really down a whole heck of a lot today. I mean, the Dow Jones again negative three point forty three percent. Nasdaq is three point seventy three percent. I'm actually reading from Market Watch's you know indexes and whatnot. Gold is down by point zero two. Oil is actually up by point forty. So not too high. But anyways, the fact is the markets are down, but they're not down by a ton. Now, if this trend continues and the market tanks then, you know, we'll have to go from there. But let me read the article so you guys can actually get an understanding of, of where this, this this theory is coming from. So with three weeks to go, President Trump's re-election bid is in trouble. At least that's what the polls are showing us. Now, this article, just for your reference, was posted on October 13th, okay? So it was posted a good 15 days ago. So anyways, it just, you know, that way you know where this is coming from. But it's not what the stock market is signaling based on nearly a century's worth of election year data, Trump may yet win. Here's the research, and it is compelling. Since 1928, whenever the S&P 500 index 
of the largest U.S. stocks has risen in the three months prior to the presidential election. The party that controlled the White House won 90% of the time. If you think about it intuitively, it actually makes sense, says Julian Emanuel, chief equity and derivative strategist for the investment firm BTIG, who compiled the data. Because a rising stock market tends to be a ratification of the present policies being satisfying to the investing public. History lines up squarely behind Emanuel. In 1928, for example, President Calvin Coolidge, a Republican, chose to retire, but stocks rose between August and November. It was the last full year of the Roaring Twenties and helped lift the new GOP standard bearer, Herbert Hoover, into the White House. Four years later, the reverse occurred. The Great Depression, which began in the fall of 1929, dragged down stocks, including between August and November 1932, and Hoover was crushed by Democrat Franklin D. Roosevelt. In fact, There have been six presidential years since 1928 where the S&P 500 fell in the three months before Election Day. All six times, the party in the White House lost. In netting out its punishment, the markets have proven to be agnostic. In three of those six instances, Republicans lost, and the other three Democrats did. In addition to 1932, Republicans also controlled the White House in 1960, but Vice President Richard Nixon fell short in his bid to replace President Dwight Eisenhower. In 2008, Republican George W. Bush was in the White House, but GOP nominee John McCain lost to Democrat Barack Obama. The three times that Democrats lost, Harry Truman chose to retire in 1952, but nominee Audley Stevenson was crushed by Eisenhower. In 2000, Al Gore, the incumbent vice president, lost to Bush. And just four years ago, Donald Trump upended Hillary Clinton's bid. Three months prior to Election Day, the November 3rd, the S&P 500 was at 3,271. It's over 3,500 today, a gain of 7%. Based on Emanuel's study of history, Trump is better positioned to win a second term than pollsters or the media seem to think. That said, actually, if you go and you and you look at the indexes today, and which, by the way, if you really want to, you can either go to MarketWatch's homepage or you can go and you can look at TradingView. I actually prefer TradingView because I like to actually see the charts themselves. Uh, but if you, if you look at TradingView, if you look at either one, what you'll see is that in this article, it says that on November 3rd, the S&P 500 was at 3271, and it's over 3500 today at the time of writing this article, which again was like 15 days ago. But if you look at the S&P 500 today, it's back to 3271. You see, the uh, the S&P 500 has had a pretty big fall from 3548 down to 3271. So that said, though, you know, it's something to keep in mind. But yeah, so the market isn't quite uh, as high as it was today, as it was at the time of writing this article. So I'm not entirely sure if that, seeing as which the market is down, would that mean that ultimately the market is, you know, if the market continues to fall and fall and fall, then maybe Trump will lose. I don't, I don't know. But anyways, uh, th- that's assuming that this article's theory is correct, but I thought it was interesting nonetheless. Anyway, let's continue to hop back into it. Both Emmanuel says may be under, underestimating the probability of President Trump getting reelected. He's unswayed by Biden's recent surge. The, the former vice president's lead in national polls has risen from about six and a half percentage points at the beginning of October to about ten and a half points now, according to aggregate data compiled by media sites like Re- Real Clear Politics and Five Three Eight. Emmanuel's answer to this. 
this. The race perhaps isn't being handicapped correctly. Critics of President Trump may claim that 2020 has been such an extraordinary year, replete with one awful event after another, and that it's an outlier, and therefore comparing it to past election and market cycles isn't appropriate. Turmoil in years past. Yet Emmanuel's data has held up through other difficult, dangerous times too. The Great Depression, World War II, and the Korean War. It even held up in 1968, the year of political assassinations, riots in Vietnam, even a pandemic that killed about 100,000 Americans, the Center for Disease Control estimated. Beyond the markets, Emmanuel says certain factors could still boost the president and thus increase the uncertainty around the election outcome. An election eve stimulus package could be one, he says. Getting Amy Coney Barrett confirmed for the Supreme Court could be another, though I suspect Barrett has already been taken into account. We do think that people are a bit too sanguine because the polls have widened wider than they did in 2016, Emmanuel says, adding, we do not believe that such a certain outcome is warranted in terms of how it's been discounted by the markets. Election day is three weeks away. That's a lifetime in presidential politics in which races can swing dramatically in the final days. Ronald Reagan crushed President Jimmy Carter in a landslide in 1980. But people forget that the former California governor trailed by as much as eight points in mid-October. And if Trump's stunner four years ago didn't teach Democrats about the dangers of complacency, then I don't know whatever could. And that's basically the end of the article. Um, the author was Paul Brandis. If you guys want to watch, uh, uh, you know, go in and read this article, I will go ahead and link to it in the description below, as I always do with articles that I read. But in the end, it is an interesting theory. Now, whether or not it will come to fruition, I have no idea. Um, like I said, the S&P 500 is currently falling. It's not actually rising anymore. And it's currently at the level that that article was talking about where the market came from, 3271 to 3,500, and now it's back down to 3,271. So again, there's still time for things to happen. So I don't know, and neither did the, neither did uh, you know anyone in those articles know either. Like I said, no one's got a crystal ball, but it was an interesting theory nonetheless. Let's go ahead and do some affiliate programs right now. So if you are interested, I talked a little bit about Forex trading in this episode. If you're interested in learning Forex trading, I got a website for you. They're really, really great. You know, it's tier1trading.com, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to pay someone to teach you this, the, the art and the skill of trading, tier1trading.com is one of the best places to go to do it. In my opinion, they are the number one training coach platform out there. They really, really are great. I mean, and they're not going to turn you down the wrong path. I mean, I know I say that all the time, but it's true. You know, they don't just teach you a strategy and leave you in the dark. No, they actually teach you all the skills that you need to turn, to actually master this, to understand it. So you can create your own strategies. They will, of course, teach you some strategies, teach you pattern recognition, systems trading. They'll teach you all different kinds of stuff, structure analysis, technical analysis, and whatnot. But in the end, they're going to teach you how to do it. They're going to teach you the skill. And ladies and gentlemen, that's the most important thing. Uh, unfortunately, in this field, you get a lot of, you know, gurus out there that want to teach you just a strategy that they came up with, that they haven't even tested over that much data. And when you start actually get engaging in the strategy, you realize the strategy was crap and that in the end, they didn't really do their due diligence. Guys, they're going to teach you how to avoid those those pitfalls. They're going to teach you how you can go out and come up with your own strategy, how you can build belief in your own strategies, and that is worth its weight in gold. So if you're interested in Forex trading, if you're interested in any of that, go check them out, tier1trading.com. They're absolutely amazing. And hey, if you want to learn a skill, 
Maybe you don't know what you want to do to become financially free. Maybe you don't know. Uh, go to Skillshare.com. Skillshare.com is an absolute wonderful platform. They've got thousands of courses on their platform. They're all very high quality uh, platforms. I mean, I've personally used them for website design, email copywriting, YouTube ads. I've, I've used them for a lot of stuff. I've got tons of other courses that are saved on my list. Any stuff ranging from futures trading to Forex trading to stock or options trading and stuff of that nature. So, I mean, heck, they even got things on there for like photography and even uh, how to fly a drone and, and whatnot. It's pretty cool stuff. They've got a lot of really good stuff on there. So if you don't know what you want to do, the library of courses and knowledge that's on Skillshare is so vast, I would highly encourage that you go check them out. They're not that expensive, but like maybe $100 a year, $99 for an entire year's worth of subscription. It's really not that bad. It's dirt cheap. And if you don't have a lot of money, it's one of the best places you can go. So if that sounds interesting to you guys, go check it out. And uh, last but not least, look, we talk about inflation a lot on the show. We talk about the debasing of the currency, monetary devaluation, and how effectively inflation is growing at a very consistent rate, far more than 2% a year, in my opinion. And look, I mean, in the end, it's not going to stop. Eventually, the money will become worthless. So what are you going to do? You know, hopefully it's not in our time frame, but still, what are you going to do? You're going to prepare yourself you're gonna st- or you're going to stick your head in the sand? You're going to prepare yourself or maybe prepare your your children or your grandchildren, you know, maybe educate them and help them understand how they can do it. Maybe even build up some investments for them. I don't know. But don't just stick your head in the sand, ladies and gentlemen. It's coming. It's going to eventually happen. At some point in time, it will. And honestly, what's the best way to handle it is well, you can invest in cryptocurrency, you can invest in stocks, real estate, but personally, my favorite option, this is not a financial advice, is, you know, this is just what I like to do. This is, I, I like to buy silver, precious metals, gold, silver, you know, platinum. So if you guys are, and, and one of the best things about silver is that it's cheap. It's not expensive. Most people have money to buy a couple silver coins, and guys, there's a lot of cool stuff that you can do with it. But look, if you want that insurance policy to hedge against inflation, silver is one of the best ways that you could do it. It's one of my favorite ways to do it. So if you guys are interested in that, you need a place to go buy it, you know, check out Money Metals Exchange. You know, I'll put the link to the website. It's not an affiliate link. It is a, it's just a normal link. But if you decide that you want to buy something from Money Metals Exchange, you're a brand new customer. Okay. If you're not a brand new customer, you want to go buy it because you know, you like it, then Hey, more power to you. But if you're a brand new customer and you decide to make a purchase, mention my name and we'll both get free coins. You'll get a free coin and I will get a free coin. And that is a great way to jumpstart your portfolio. If you haven't started it yet, if you haven't started that process of getting that in that insurance against inflation, that's a great way to do it. Now there's all kinds of strategies out there for how much of a percentage you should be applying. Look, you know, I don't, some people say 5% some people say 10% of your net worth. Look, having some, in my opinion, is better than having nothing at all. Okay. I just like to constantly build mine up, build how much I've got. That's what I just like to do. No, I'm not intending to put an infinite amount of money into it, but I do want to have some. So I want to have some exposure. I want to have some protection. If it ever happens, I want to know that some of my wealth is protected and whatnot. So if you guys are interested in that, again, if you, in order to get involved on the free coin, you got to be a new customer and you have to mention my name, Matthew Spazidi, when you check out. 
Okay, there should be a, a place there for you to put my name in there. I'm already customer. They, they should know that. So if you guys are interested in that, you want to get a free coin, you want to get started with that hedge against inflation, then hey, go, go check it out. It's a great place. I, I love them. I've been ordering coins from them for a while now. So they really are great. And uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't know, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I think that Donald Trump stands a pretty good chance of winning. I, I think that he does. I don't think that he's going to lose this this election. It, it, look, statistically speaking, it's very, very, very difficult for the president in the White House to lose during the second election for this uh, for their second term, right? It, it's very difficult for that to happen. It has happened, of course, but statistically, the odds are are against that from happening. Now, that doesn't mean it won't occur, but it's a possibility. It could happen, but, you know, I don't know. I'm of the impression that I still think Trump's going to win. He is getting a lot more people out to for his campaigns. You know, and of course, then there's also the other theory as well from this Market Watch article, which was pr pretty interesting. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know for sure, but I think Donald Trump stands a very good chance of winning. I think he still will win. You know, if he doesn't, then uh, I'll eat my words, obviously, but um, I think he's got a good chance. I still think he's going to win. I just don't, I mean, I don't think people are angry enough with him you know, the people who don't think he handled the whole COVID-19 well enough that he didn't shut down the entire economy. I'm, I'm kind of thinking that in the end, I don't think a lot of people are that ticked off at the guy for, for handling that poorly. If, if they think that he has, I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't really think that that that's the case. I think that the vast majority of people think he handled it well. Um, his base, I think certainly did. And yeah, I just, the, the, a lot of the data that I'm seeing is, is in the things that I'm reading. And again, I don't really care one way or the other who ends up winning. I don't feel like it's going to heavily, heavily affect my life. Now, many of you might think that's very arrogant for me to say. You know, I don't know. I mean, come on. I'm not some super rich billionaire. I think that if th there are things that can affect me, but I think that I'm better off focusing on m myself, focusing on growing my podcast, focusing on growing my business and becoming financially free and I think I'm better off doing that kind of stuff than worrying about which schmuck gets elected in politics. In the end, there may be things that can affect my life, but the vast majority of the time, you know, every, they always say that, oh, this, this, this presidential election, this election, it's the most important election in history, and this is the most important one. And they say that over and over and over and over again to the point where it's just like crying wolf. I just no longer believe it anymore. Now, Maybe that's a bad thing and maybe the wolf is actually going to come around and, you know, and whatnot and the whole crying wolf story. But perhaps, perhaps that's the case. Perhaps I'm wrong. Look, I, I always hold in every single prediction that I make, I always hold that there is always a possibility for me being wrong. Okay. I think that there's going to be a market crash next year. All right. I have read uh, data that shows that there, that could not, that may not happen, that actually this could legitimately be a V-shaped recovery. I still am skeptical. I still don't believe that it's going to be a V-shaped recovery. No, I think we're going to see a bigger crash than the one that we saw in February and March. And I think we're going to see an even bigger tanking of the economy. But that said, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I could, be, I could be wrong. Nobody does. No one really knows. And in the end, ladies and gentlemen, when people are giving you absolutes, because that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants guarantees. Everyone wants, I guess absolutes isn't the right terminology for it, but guarantees. Everybody wants guarantees. 
And there are many people out there in the economy, in our country, in other countries that are more than willing to give them to you if it means making a buck or two. I find that giving guarantees is unethical because nobody really knows and you're giving people a false sense of security if you give them guarantees, which is why I don't do it. I do not guarantee that the market's going to crash next year. I'm just thinking there's a high possibility and I, I think, it, I think it, it's going to happen. I can't guarantee it. I don't know, but that's what that's the, what I'm looking at. That's how I'm subjectively viewing the data that I'm looking at. And yes, it is subjective. Of course it is. Every almost everything in this world is somewhat subjective is subjective to one extent or another. Right? And the election is no different. I think Donald Trump's going to win. I think he is. A lot of people are saying, oh man, I just don't know. I mean, I've heard many Republicans, you know, living in North Texas, uh, you know, in the DFW area, you know, and also coming from a Christian conservative background myself, I mean, I've heard lots of Republicans <laughs> in recent months tell, say things like, yeah, I just don't, I just don't see him winning. You know, I just, I just don't see it. I don't know. I, I want him to win, but I'm just not sure. And they're stressing themselves out so much. And I'm like, dude, calm down. You know, A, in my opinion, it doesn't really matter who wins or who loses. It, it, you know, the government's going to advance one way or the other. They're going to continue to spend more money. There will be another stimulus check. Grant, or at least I'm pretty sure there's going to be another stimulus check. It just is taking a lot longer than I thought that they would that, that it would take in order to do it. I think there will probably be one after the election. I don't know what's been holding everybody up with the, with the stimulus check. I know they've been just arguing back and forth. I've heard theories where the Democrats are trying to include things in the stimulus bill that uh, the Republicans are not okay with. The Democrats want to spend more money than the, what the Republicans do, although, I mean, it's not that big of a difference. That said, though, I mean, look, I, I don't know. All I know is that whatever reason, they haven't come to a deal and they didn't come to the deal when I thought they were. But I still think they're going to come to one. I still think they're going to eventually sign a deal and get another stimulus check, uh, you know, out to everybody else. But I, I don't think that that's something that's going to happen probably till after the election. And uh, yeah, I was wrong. I thought it was going to happen before the election, but um, because I thought that they were going to have to do it just to keep the wheels on this economy. But I guess they have since decided to push it off later. But anyways, that said, I still think one's coming down the line. But that, look, the fact remains is that in the end, I can't go off and tell my Republican friends and family that, you know, it doesn't matter. They, they're not going to understand that. You, if you're listening to me today and you, you are one who is gung-ho into the whole voting process, you may not understand it yourself. Yeah, I've tried to explain where I'm coming from on this point, uh, I think my message probably, even though it's a a message of monarchy, I, I still think it, you know, the, the anti-democratic message certainly probably, you know, sounds a lot better and resonates a lot more with people that are probably more of the anarcho-capitalist persuasion. But with that stated, there, you know, people that Democrats and Republicans who are diehard Democrats and Republicans who are diehards who vote all the time. They're not going to understand that. So it's not something that I can go out and say. But what I usually would, t would tell my Republican friends and family is like, I wouldn't worry about it. I still think Trump's going to win. I still think the data is in his favor. I still think the trend is very much and sentiment is in his favor. Now, a lot of people 
ever since the coronavirus has hit and all that kind of stuff, the lockdowns have occurred and everything else, a lot of people are like, oh man, I just don't know so much has happened. And I'm like, honestly, if anything else, I mean, I think his base is even more fired up than anything else. Those riots, I think, fired up his base even more so. And again, what would we just say at the beginning of this episode? You know, what determines a winner is not getting more people in the country to vote than has ever historically been. No, it's firing up your voter base, your ideological minority group that likes to vote for you, okay? Firing up that voter base, that minority ideological group, that's what defines who ends up winning and who ends up losing. If you can fire up your base, I mean, unless your base is just very, very small, if you can fire up your base more so than the other guy or girl or whoever it is, you know, can, then ultimately you stand a higher chance of winning and more than likely you will. See, democracy is about one minority. Again, not talking about race or ethnicity. I'm talking about ideologies, okay? So socialists would be a minority group right? Although their numbers are growing, they certainly are a minority group. Uh, you know, uh, anarcho-capitalists, again, a ideological minority group. They're based on an ideology. But that stated though, you know, what did we say before? That if you, if you fire up your voting base, you know, and you're probably, and you get more of your people that support you to out to vote, then you can win. In the end though, ladies and gentlemen, I, I highly disagree with it. I disagree with one minority group that's based on an ideology. You know, I, I'm against that one group telling everybody else how to live. I, I, I personally don't believe it's going to matter. One way or the other, you're not going to see your life heavily materially change. You know, we might see taxes rise. Okay, that's going to make a difference right? But it's not going to affect, it's not going to ruin your life. You know, the vast, maybe you have to cut back a little bit more, whatever. Maybe the taxes don't change on everyone. Either way, you know, your life is not going to be flipped upside down because of Republican, a Republican or a Democrat winning in the office. Not really going to matter. The whole system of voting is to make you think that you have some kind of control when in reality you do not. We talked about this a lot in the last episode. If you're interested in hearing my opinion on it, which I just basically said in a nutshell, go back and listen. I, I, I've unpacked that more. I tried to explain why I feel that way. Go back and listen to that episode. Personally, I felt like it was a pretty good one. I hopped around a little bit, but I felt like my, what I said, the, I felt like what I said, I felt like ultimately my reasoning was pretty spot on overall, you know, but the fact remains is that, look, it doesn't really matter one way or the other. And instead of focusing on the, the politics and the, and whatnot, instead of focusing on who gets elected, my advice to you guys, my advice to myself, anyone is that we should focus more on becoming financially free, focus more on ourselves and our own successes and our own lives rather than focusing on politics. Because in the end, you know, when we focus on politics, we get incredibly stressed out. We get incredibly angry. We fight with our neighbors any, or family members, whoever disagrees with us. And it's just never a positive thing to focus on this stuff. 
The only thing that's positive to focus on is try to find common ground where you can, but ultimately keep your head down and focus on growing your own human capital. Focus on growing and your own financial freedom and, and, and the source of your income that you control. Focus on becoming financially free because that is what true freedom really is. In the end, regardless of gets who, who gets elected, again, we talked about this in other episodes, you know, it doesn't really matter. The deficit's going to rise, debt's going to rise, and eventually that's going to lead to more inflation. They're going to have to pay the debt down. They're not going to pay it down with, re- with real taxes, although you might see some local governments trying to raise their taxes, but the, go of the federal government on the federal level, they're going to pay it down by inflation. They're going to print money out of thin air, either digitally or physically. They're going to destroy the debase, the currency to do it at some point in time. Now, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen this year or next year. I don't know when that's going to happen. All I can say is I'm fearful of the day that it does. Hopefully, it's not in our time frame because it will definitely destroy the currency. I mean, the Federal Reserve is already talking about, and we, we mentioned this, oh gosh, I don't even remember when, but I mentioned this, you know, in past episodes, uh, I think I titled it, you know, the Fed is is talking about, is making inflation easier than it's ever been or whatever. And basically what they're doing is they're talking about creating an app that every citizen can download on their phone. And ultimately there are basically bonds that are in, that are in the, or in these accounts of everyone's app. And that ultimately when the stock market falls by certain percentage points or whatever unemployment ticks up you know by a certain basis a certain percentage points or whatever then basic what they'll do is they'll basically fund these bonds and send the money directly to you that you can go off and then spend the funds would be deposited directly into people's bank accounts and you know who they're going to target the people they're going to target the the poor they're going to target the people who don't keep any of their money for themselves and ultimately more or less spend just about every single dime that they make and they give the money back to the rich and the wealthy. And we've talked about that in the past as well. So ladies and gentlemen, if they do that, you can definitely expect to see pretty high inflation rates, high monetary devaluation rates, whatever you want to call it. You can definitely see that, right? So, you know, in the end, look, This stuff is going to happen. The size and the power of government is going to continue to grow regardless of who gets elected. Government spending is going to grow regardless of who gets elected. And that's just the truth. So I really don't think that voting really matters. I don't think it really makes a difference. But look, there is something that does. Okay, Who gets elected is largely out of your control. You can go and you can do your voting if you want. But it's largely out of your control. You really don't have much of a say in it. But there is something that you do have a say in. And that's becoming free. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we talk about financial freedom all the time. We don't always talk about how you do it. And, and the main reason for that is because I'm more trying to get your, you to change your mindset. In order, before we even get into the, the details of how to do it, we need to change the mindset. The mindset is the most important thing, no matter what kind of venture you're in. I, I've learned this a lot with for, from Forex trading. They talk about trading mindset more. A good teacher will talk more about trading mindset and teach more on trading mindset than the actual skill itself. Because in any skill that you're trying to acquire, or at least with a lot of different types of skills, maybe I shouldn't say with any, you know, it's 80% 
mindset, 20% knowledge. Personal finances is, is this way. Trading is this way. Losing weight and, and being healthy is this way. Only 20% it really is, is the knowledge that we have to learn on how to do it. 80% is the mindset. And making money, becoming financially free, that's exactly the same way. So that's why we focus on that a lot more, getting you guys to understand what risks are really out there and then trying to, you know, convince you that you need to take life by the horns and you need to ultimately control your own life by, you know, becoming financially free. But there are lots of ways that you can do it. Okay, you can do a podcast like I'm doing here. You can do a blog. I mean, you can you can do a blog for free. You know, you go to uh, WordPress. You could create a free WordPress website. It'll you, your website will be whatever the name of the website is plus dot WordPress dot com. Or you can go to I think Blogspot too. Um, you could do a free website there as well. You can write blogs with affiliate program links in them. You can uh, get those blogs out to like Pinterest and and all and other websites as well. You know, you can do all kinds of stuff. I mean, literally, the, the, the options and possibilities are endless. Forex trading is one of my favorite ones. I mean, you could do uh, dividend investing. Again, if, you, if, if you're inclined to that, you could try that. It takes a lot of money. You got to have a lot of money to make that something that you can live off of, but you could try. You know, you do real estate investing. If you've got money available and you're, you're aware of the risks, you know, certainly you could do something of that nature. You know, you could have a business. You can, if you have a highly valuable skill, you can have a, a business where people pay you to go come and do that skill. You know, maybe you, uh, let's say, stick to the whole real estate idea. You could be a property management. Maybe you have a company that manages properties. Maybe you as an individual can sell your property management skills. You're, you're a good handyman or, and whatnot, and you're capable of going off and managing a number of properties. I, I don't know. It's tons of stuff, literally tons of stuff. My favorite method is podcasting. I like podcasting. I like blogging. I like vlogging, you know, doing videos and stuff on YouTube and whatnot. There's, there is a lot of different methods, but though I like Forex trading, I like investing. There's tons of stuff. There's tons of ways to do it. It's just kind of something that depends on what you're interested in, what you're, you know, well suited for. And it really, a lot of it depends on that kind of stuff. So, you know, in the end, I, I don't know if talking about different ways that we can do it is, is more valuable than talking about the mindset. But ladies and gentlemen, there are tons of ways and, um, there just are, <laughs> but it requires you to get out there and to figure it out yourself. I can't help you choose what you want to do. I mean, whether you want to teach someone, you know, back to the whole, having a valuable skill, maybe you could teach someone the skill that you have. Uh, information marketing, you know, or, or uh, having an information business is is very valuable and has a very high return on investment. You just have to grow your audience, right? So, and and that's largely if you're going to do anything online, growing your audience is by far one of the most difficult things that you you're going to have to deal with. But it is possible. Okay, you know, I'm going to be honest. Years ago, nobody knew who the heck I was, and now I'm getting a small following going. You know, I, I, I'm getting a small one going and it's growing and I, I couldn't be happier. I wish it was growing faster, but you know, uh, don't we all, but still it's amazing. 
Nobody knew who I was before, and now people are starting to learn who I am. People are actually valuing my opinions. I never thought, if you had told me that back, you know, years ago, I never would have believed you. I mean, yeah, I thought I had interesting opinions. I, I, I absolutely thought I was an interesting person, but, you know, I, I don't know. Just my mindset has changed so much over the years that I finally decided to put myself out there and, hey, see what happens. If it's a success, it's a, su- a success. If not, it's not. You know, in the end, if all this burns and, and, and uh, I can't talk about what I, my opinions on economics, political philosophy, you know, whatever, finance, you know, entrepreneurship, financial freedom, if I can't talk about those kind of stuff anymore, at least with regards to the politics and economic side, then I'd fall back on trading, trading, investing, personal finances. I'd fall back on those kind of things. And that, you know, if I decided I didn't want to do a a podcast anymore or blogging or anything of the sort, you know what? I would just fall back on my trading. It's, it's, it's a highly valuable skill that where you can potentially make money without having to build an audience, without having to sell any products or services. Investing is very similar as well. It's just, you tend to need a lot of money in order to make money with investing. Although the same could honestly be said also for trading too. You still need a lot of money in order to make that work. Although you don't, I don't think you need nearly as much money. It kind of depends on your expenses. I mean, if you, if you live in, um, in the Middle East and you only live off $500 a month, well, then you don't need nearly the, the, the large account in order to produce that, you know, your account size is limited. If you, if you need, I don't know, five, $10,000 a month to live, you're going to need a much larger account. You got to factor in the losses. You got to factor in fees that you have to pay, uh, rollover fees. You know, if you're holding a trade for longer than a day, you know, um, you got to factor a lot of that kind of stuff in, but in the end, you can make money and you don't have to sell anything to anybody. You don't have to do a lot of stuff. So anyways, you know, I'm kind of getting down a rabbit trail, but guys, I mean, there's tons of stuff that you guys can do. There really, really, really is. Okay. So ladies and gentlemen, look, you can control the source of your income. You can take control of the source of your life as well. I truly believe it. Otherwise I wouldn't be doing it. I am trying to live out my values and I would encourage you guys to do the same. If you want true freedom and liberty, don't focus on voting. Focus on becoming financially free. Control that the source of, of your income so that you're not dependent on a boss. You're not dependent on a company to hire you. You don't have to worry about getting laid off, losing your house. You don't have to worry about a lot of that kind of stuff. You don't have to worry about political unrest. You can just move to another country if that's what you want. You don't have to worry about taxation. You can go to another country. You can start a corporation. You know, you can do a lot of different things. When you have money and you control where that money is coming from, you th- options open up to you that are not available to you if you simply work for somebody else. So you can take control of your life. It's just a matter of understanding that, believing that, and then pursuing it. And it, it really starts with a decision. It, it, it starts with the mindset and the decision. The, de- the decision to change your mindset and the decision to start making choices and taking action. It's really what it is, but you got you to gotta make that choice. Are you okay being dependent on a company for the rest of your life? Or do you truly want to become financially free? And if your answer is yes, and you really do want to become financially free, ladies and gentlemen, that's great. That is absolutely amazing. You've taken the first step. Then you need to kind of envision what the, your perfect day looks like. 
what, what you want to do for a living, all that kind of stuff, and what you really want to do. Unfortunately, I can't help you with what you want to do and, and what your perfect day looks like. That's something you got to determine. If you got to work, what would your perfect day look like? What, do, what would you want to be engaged in? If you had, you know, we all have to work. What would you want to do for your life? What fills you up in jo- with joy and happiness, right? It's kind of that whole statement of know your why. Know why you're doing it. And um, yeah, so once you make that decision, you know, then you got to go that route and you got to try to figure out what you're going to do. And then you got to try to find if you can fit it in with your life. You know, like me, I got to take care of my daughter. That's my full-time job right now. I'm doing the, the everything else part-time. And before she was born, I had all day to do it, but now I don't. So I got I to gotta pick and choose what I'm going to do. Maybe I put some stuff that I was doing, like the YouTube channel, at least for the trading side of the business. Maybe I put some of that on the back burner. Maybe I go more with podcasting because it's a little easier. I don't know. I don't know what that is for you. But you've got to figure out, once you figure out what you want to do, what the perfect day, your perfect day looks like in terms of your work day, once you figure out what you want to do and what you want to be engaged in, then you got to figure out how you're going to do it. And it, it takes time. Don't feel bad. If it doesn't advance at the rate that you want it to advance at, don't feel bad if you don't make a ton of money right out of the gate. It, this is really more of a long-term process. It can take years. It, so keep that in mind. Give yourself some grace. Allow yourself to understand that it's not going to happen fast in most cases and you're not doing anything wrong. You just got to keep pushing forward. Keep pushing forward. Persistence is the number one key thing. Keep persisting. If one idea isn't working out, try another idea. Try something different. Don't just keep doing the same old thing. That's not what I mean by persistence. But by persistence, maybe persistence includes trying different things. Persistence includes pushing forward, progressing in your journey. And don't feel bad if you're not achieving what you want to achieve. It's very easy to feel bad about that. Don't do that to yourself. Give yourself some grace and continue forward. All right, guys. Hey, that's going to be the end of the episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. You know, um, you know, this election will be kind of interesting to see who actually wins and, uh, you know, whether wh- whether my thoughts on it actually come to fruition or not. It'll, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. But uh, in the end, you control your life. You control whether you're free or not, not some politician. So, you know, not some government in that sense. So go out, get out there, start hitting the ground, start coming up with ideas, brainstorming, you know, start uh, bouncing ideas off other people and, and just try to just get in that mindset and then, uh, you know, start pursuing your journey. But hey, ladies and gentlemen, if you like what I'm doing here, please consider giving me a rating and review on iTunes. Helping me get on the map with regards to the, the rankings on iTunes is very, very helpful. Please make sure to like and subscribe to the show. You know, wherever you're at, make sure to like and subscribe. And if you love what I'm doing here, then please share the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't grow the show without you. Okay, this show is here because you guys love coming here. You guys are getting value out of what I'm doing. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. 
Okay, so if you guys love this message, if you love what I'm doing here, you want me to keep coming in, keep providing this value, then please share the show. Odds are, if you like it, someone else in your life is going to like it as well. Share it with some friends, share it with people you like, people you don't like, share it with anyone you want. If you just want to hit the share button on social media, whether that is Twitter, Facebook, whatever, then hey, go ahead and do it. Wherever you are listening to this, please consider sharing the show, okay? Help me grow this message of financial freedom to as many people as we can get to listen because in the end, it provided purpose to me when I had none. It provided direction to me when I had none. This message of financial freedom did. It changed my life and I really want to help other people and change their lives as well. I want them to know that their life is in their hands and ultimately they decide what the direction their life moves in. So ladies and gentlemen, if you love that message and you like, like me, you believe it wholeheartedly, then please consider sharing the show. And if you guys will do all that for me, I will see you guys in the next episode. As always, know the risks, plan accordingly, and have a great day.